My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. I missed last week. Eric carried on bravely in my stead. I want to give a shout-out to the Diz Insider guys. I never want to host again. Hosting stinks. (laughs) But you were so good at it. told our boys, I just like to be like the peanut gallery. Like, I just like to, like, (laughs) chime in when I have something I feel like I should say. Having to, like engage and keep the show going man you do a important job here well thank you but you did quite good although i will agree with you in your incredulous response to derek that the falcon and winter soldier was his favorite of the (laughs) marvel series i heard that as i was listening to your guys podcast i'm like listen i love derek and and i hope you're listening buddy but huh i just respect (laughs) hearing a new take like i was not expecting him to say that at all i was like the falcon and the what Your response was, you could tell you were like, I'm the host. I can't just bomb on him right now. But you were clearly very surprised. <laughs> when I tell you, I did not expect those words to come out. But hey, thank you to them for coming through. It was a great time. What were your thoughts on the uh, finale, quick? Uh, yeah, I really liked it. I think I understand why people are, are upset, but I thought it was fucking awesome. I thought because we are diehards and that's the lens we're viewing it and not casual fans, and we knew a little bit of what to expect and who to a degree that was, I thought it was awesome. It set up such interesting things. It matches up well with WandaVision. I I, I just thought two people in a room talking with some crackling dialogue and some interesting world building elements. Great job. And I just want to say, because they brought this up last week, shout out to you for that Kang scoop that we ran. It's a team effort, man. Post-cred pod. Let's go. Well, uh, you're the one who did the work now, but let me ask you, has this encouraged you at all? to adopt my way of doing things and just saying, fuck it and letting it ride. Because had we, we would have fucking had, no, sorry. Had you, you would have fucking had that one. And that would have been gigantic, dude. You would have been, I mean, and not even for our sake, like I'm saying like for your sake, like what's the difference between a scoop you can and cannot run. And, and, and how did that come into play there? So we postgrad pod ran this as, as a rumor before a strong rumor. Like we yeah, figured out how rumors. to word it to be like, we're not officially reporting this, but we feel confident in it type thing. Yes. And, and the reason I didn't confirm it, I, I didn't run it as a full on exclusive scoop is because I could not get secondary confirmation on it. The source that I did get it from was extremely reliable. Someone who's fed me almost exclusively um, accurate information in the past. So I was very, very confident, particularly the way they went about, uh, particularly the reason why they were confident, which I'm not going to reveal, but they were like, dude, believe me, <laughs> like wow. first hand confirmation. So uh, the, the reason I couldn't get second confirmation. Well, well, you just well, wait, well, I don't but... understand. Is he like friends with fucking majors I, 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 i'm not gonna reveal i'm not gonna reveal uh his connection or, or best friend or, you know why but it was a very very significant firsthand account where i was like okay that's pretty damn true wow 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 so so i guess the key is you need more than one person to confirm it like if you had gotten someone else to say yeah it's true you would have let that shit fly if it was a reputable source, too. Yes, definitely. And, and now, if is this that studio a journalistic had the only standard, or is that just yours? That's a journalistic standard. You know, you usually want secondary confirmation on these things. Even if you trust the first source immensely? Uh, you know, I, I would say I'm probably a little bit more conservative than your average reporter in terms of being like, I, I want uh, a cemented confirmation from multiple right, sources. Right, so it's airtight. 
Yeah, you know, I, I prefer that. And if I, you know, I miss here and there because, Especially um, with because I didn't ran something. Yeah, if I missed something because I didn't run it, even though I was confident in it, so be it. I'd, I'd rather make sure my batting average is high. True. Okay. Fair enough. Very but cool. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, it gave me a little bit more confidence, particularly on this show, to be like, listen, this is what I'm hearing. Right. So hopefully we can get some good stuff. But today we got a good episode for you guys as well. We're going to do our 2021 movie draft, which I'm really excited to. We're going to get hit our notes, our news in a second, of course, give you guys a little tasting of the trending topics of the week. But first, Eric, you've seen The Suicide Squad. I've seen Snake Eyes. We've both seen Stillwater. I've seen Green Knight. You want to throw out just a few quick thoughts for anyone who's interested in those upcoming features? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Suicide Squad, let me just say, is a good DCEU film, right? Like, that's sort of where we're at at this point. Are, <laughs> are their films good or bad? Like That's, that's the that's, benchmark. Yeah, this one's good, which is great to say. And as I said in a tweet, again, warning, warning, that this was my exact tweet, even though I think reviews have gone live yet, or I don't uh, know. I don't, I don't know when the review are embargoed. Just to be safe, this is more or less my exact tweet. It's an incredibly fun film. The pace is breakneck. It never stops. It's very cheeky. It's very aware of itself. It's bright, and it's loud. It's not a great movie. Those are different things. One of the best parts of it, it, about it is that it was heartfelt as hell. And that is likely due to the fact that every character, every character, the performance is amazing. Every and I and that could be a credit to the writing, which was sharp and witty. But I genuinely just think it was a bunch of people believing in what they were doing, and that you've got to give props to Gun for, right? I mean, it just seemed like everybody was having fun, and they understood what he was trying to do, and they pulled it off. They were able to definitely mix absurdity with that genuine feeling. You know, the fight scenes are cool. I think the third act villain, which I don't think this is a reveal. It's known that it's sorrow. I prefer something like that to a third act hole in the sky. Yeah, no more blue sky beams. So I... Gave it a seven and a half out of 10. And I want to be clear that like, I don't really give out 10s. Like if I, if I were to give out a 10, it'd be to a film like The Dark Knight. So that's really like a seven and a half out of nine, which is a very high score. And as I've said on this show a few times, I'm someone who sees a D as not all that bad because it means you know 60%. <laughs> no, it means you know 60% of the topic. So 75% of something is a lot to me. And I think that this was 75%, well, I guess seven and a half, out of nine, you know, that's a high fucking score. And uh, I think people are going to like it. I'm curious to see how the HBO maxness of it all affects its bottom line and like how they go forward with the story. That's another thing too, right? It doesn't feel like we're just making this one so we can make the next one. It feels like a contained fucking movie. Okay. And all the credit in the world to them for that. As for Stillwater, let me make this clear to y'all. If you go into it expecting Matt Damon taken, and that's why you go to see it, you're not going to like it. If you go into it expecting a heady drama with like genuine moments of tension where like I had to watch through my hands, I was like, I can't fucking watch this right now. Um, Legit acting. Damon, he's great. The little girl in this is fantastic. So good. It's uh, it's mind-blowing. Um, It's a little long, two hours and 20 minutes, but... I think if like destined to be like a dad's love this on TNT <laughs> Saturday at 3 p.m., fall asleep on the couch and watch tight film. And there's still a place in my heart for those. So if you're looking to kill a quiet Sunday, then yeah, but expect a drama and not a thriller. 
Yeah, and I think you said it best, and I agree completely when it comes to Stillwater. It would probably have been better had it not been trying to be three or four different movies at once, because it is all, all at the same time an Amanda Knox parallel, a redemption story, a father-daughter story, a surrogate family story. There is a lot going on that I think it would have benefited from focusing a little bit more, narrowing it a little bit more, but I agree with you. That is a perfectly solid, adequate emotional drama yeah. that has moments of levity that makes it make it a, a solid watch. You know, yeah, there's some laughs too, yeah. which is oh, which yeah. is tough to squeeze in there. But yeah, it, it's a it's solid filming, of course. Today on this podcast, that is why we got the chance to talk to Matt fucking Damon. So yeah. <laughs> go see Stillwater. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's I mean, listen, the Matt Damon interview, you guys, Eric knocks it out of the park. I, I can't wait for you guys to listen to that later this episode. Uh, switching over to Snake Eyes, Eric, I have no connection to the G.I. Joe IP. Verse? I know a lot of people do, but I thought, verse? yeah, I, I thought this was just a truly terrible movie. My review is up on uh, Observer right now. Just awful all around. I knew we were in trouble when I realized I was like, oh, fuck, this is coming out Friday. And it was Wednesday and I barely yeah. saw trailers, hadn't seen a single tweet about it. And I was like, uh oh. Now, I think the action is okay, although there's way too much shaky cam. I think some of the cinematography works, but ultimately, like, Henry Golding is bland in it. He's giving a terrible script, and it's just, don't don't pay money to see this in theaters. That's what I would say to folks Harsh. that are interested in it. Yeah. Harsh, and you know, and, and you know I'm not usually, like, a fist on the table, like, harsh guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like how you, in your tweet you just put, Snake Eyes is bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, listen, I'm gonna let my review do the talking, but all you need to know, and it was a it was a John Krasinski gif of him just shaking his head now. And then I and then in my actual review tweet, I went snake at it. Eyes is bad. Here's why, basically. But yeah, don't see it. And then uh Green Knight, which we may oh. or may not be talking about in our 2021 movie draft. Let's let's um, see. But yeah. I would say Yeah, and that's why this is fun, right? I've seen films that you haven't seen, you've seen films that I've not seen. Mm-hmm. So Anyone going into the Green Knight expecting a Arthurian legend, sword and sandals battle epic is going to be so disappointed. But are people going into an A24 film genuinely expecting that? Usually, no, of course not. But I could see a lot of casual movie fans who, who don't recognize what A24 is seeing like, Oh, that's like a, a cool, like medieval type right, uh, uh, right. movie. Like, well, I bet that's going to have some some awesome action. That is not what this is. This is a slow burn, uh, dense, you know, ambiguous, deliberately vague, vague. Color me like, shocked. Yeah, sensual uh, a film, Eric. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not smarter than I am. I didn't understand like 25% of this movie, but I was enthralled throughout. And I tell you, my friend, it is the most gorgeously stunning movie since Blade Runner 2049. Here's a key thing when it comes to dense films that take a while to get going. How long is it? Uh, it's, it's not too long. And it particularly has just a thrilling third act. Just awesome. Okay. Are we sub two or above two hours? <laughs> It's probably right around there. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Because in the moment, I was just taking notes. I was intense. Because I'm, I, I can deal with a slow film, right? But yeah, if and this, this if, is a slow film. But if we're talking something that's north of like 220, all right, it's, two, it's 210. That's not that bad. Okay. I mean, look, I'm still stoked for this. This is something that I'll probably go out and see for sure. And I'm glad to hear. So you would say go out and see yeah. it. Particularly if you if you know what you're getting into, which is a, a vague yet unbelievably symbolic, allegorical, wonderfully put together vision. And it's fascinating just like how much 
how they sell them films go into how they're received, right? Like when I talked to Damon, he was like, I hope they don't sell this as a thriller. And in my head, I'm like, buddy, I've got news for you. They are. Because the commercials are very like thriller esque tension. It's but like, it's they, they want you to think it's like an investigation and it's like not really that. So but you're saying the same thing with Green Knight, right? If they're if they're trying to pitch people on, you know, duels throughout, you're saying that's not this film. I don't necessarily think that's what A24 is marketing as, but I've seen like a casual Twitter anecdotal, you know, conversation of like, this looks like a really cool kind of like Arthurian legend type right. uh, th- like commercial film. And, it, and it's not that. It is not right, that. Right, right, right. Okay. So I'll, I'll be super interested to see what you think, my friend. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our news before we get into the draft and then Matt Damon's interview. The new four-minute trailer for Dune has arrived with some fancy IMAX shots and notably Dune Part 1 in its kind of rebranding. Oh, really? Uh, what did you yeah. think? Yeah. Well, you've read Dune, so you... you no, sp- I, I, I actually uh, gave up in like a couple chapters in. Oh, you've given up on Dune. Okay. <laughs> That's not, I, like, I didn't hate it, but it was very dense. And you also have to understand I was probably like 21 when I tried right, it. You know, right, I haven't tried right. it since. Uh, I mean, this is not a hot take, not a hot film take. I think... Denis Villeneuve is one of my current favorites going. I think Blade Runner 2049 is my fifth favorite film of all time. Like, I love this guy's work. Everything that I've seen that he's done is thoroughly enthralling from start to end. And then you add all the sci-fi shit that I'm just a a sucker (laughs) for, right? It opens with, oh, a girl in a dream across the galaxy. All right, I'm sold, you know? But all that shit aside, right? Like, this is something that doesn't even need to sell me because I'm already sold on its bones. As for like the elements that you actually saw in the trailer, the story, the visuals, the visuals were so good that it makes me wonder what some films are doing with their CGI, which in some cases I feel like has regressed the last few years because I feel like films have become so reliant on it that they've become almost lazy. You see some of these shots. It doesn't look like (laughs) it was made on earth. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's truly, it's going to, what Brandon? I was going to say it was made on Craxis or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah, wherever the fuck they are. I I believe that shit. They throw, I don't know, 10 A-list names at you, which is probably as good of a cast as we've seen in, forget sci-fi, in movies in general. You look at that cast from top to bottom, and that is lights out. But do I think it's going to translate to people who don't give a shit about these things? Like if I'm like a regular Joe who like I go to a film once a month and, you know, I take the whole family or shit like that. Right. You know, is it going to make enough money to validate a part two, which I think you said would be what, like half a billion dollars? Uh, I think in COVID times, all of the math is is changed. I think so. I guess my bottom line is for movie fans and like, people who know what's gone into this and who's made this and where it comes from, like an iconic book and all that shit, it has elevated the hype. But if you're just a regular audience member who HBO and Warner Bros need to line up to see this shit, do you see that? And you're like, oh man, I, I got to go out and see that. I don't know. I genuinely, maybe it's because I can't put myself in those shoes. To me, the scope and the scale and the genre itself I think would be a sell, but as we've seen, a writ, uh, your term for it is new, like to, new screen. to screen. Yeah, yeah, new to screen IP, especially ones that are this dark. I mean, it was visibly, literally dark. <laughs> like they let you know, hey, this is not going to be a good time at the movies. 
So yeah. I think they face an uphill battle. This is going to wind up being like a critically beloved, popularly underperforming film. I think I can answer that question. Uh, you know, I share all of your affinity for Denis Villeneuve's filmography. You know, I love this cast. You know that I'm excited for this movie and I think this movie is going to be good. But I don't think Warner Brothers has figured out what angle they want to sell it as. To be, because to me, both trailers, even though there's a lot that I like, have been very meh. And I think it's because they don't know, is this a movie where we're selling it as the main character is someone who's worth spending time with? Or is it avatars? We're going to join the oppressed side and, and you know flip the script. Or is this like the next Star Wars? They seem to try to be hitting each of those angles in these two trailers and in the posters and in the marketing. And I don't think it's doing an effective job conveying to normal everyday audiences what exactly it is they might be signing up for. Again, this is the film Twitter champion of 2021, without a doubt. So you and I were all on board. But I don't think they've done a great job marketing it. I think it's going to ultimately be a good movie, but it's probably destined to be a Blade Runner 2040. How do you think it should be sold? Like for me, their route is selling this as a dark Star Wars. Like Whereas like Lord of the Rings was PG-13 and Game of Thrones was R. That would sort of be my lane, right? I would be trying to make that clear. Like all the shit from Star Wars that you like, that, but they're bleeding and fucking type thing like that is sort of that would but be this is still pg-13 remember is it yeah that's another problem that, that they face it looks so oppressively fucking depressing and heavy and dark that you would <laughs> that you would assume it'd be r so oh the, my god it, that difficult. changes things for me because that's that that, that changes things for me <laughs> that really does because that it means they're trying, they're trying to market from what but I they're, they want this to be a commercial series that's yeah. why it's PG-13. Uh, yeah, I'm it's not just, saying, you know, that that's necessarily the right approach. I'm but not then why that, hire Denis Villeneuve? He, he clearly has an interest in, in doing it this way, too, or else he wouldn't have, you know, pitched it. Yeah, because there's a version of Dune that looks nothing like this that is more commercially viable, but wouldn't be as much of a critical darling. They clearly did not make that film. They set out to make the best film possible, which I can't believe the words that I'm using are good, but my tone is bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> If I was selling this movie and I was Warner Brothers, I would immediately start making Zendaya's character appear as if she is a co-lead with Timothy Chalamet's character. Well, she's Whether the first not, face. The she's she's she, the first face you see in the trailer. And that's smart, but I would start pushing it even more. If we're still saying this is Timmy Chalamet's character's journey. I would say like it's both of them which, meeting Which in the is middle. also dubious to me. I don't know if the average person gives a fuck about him yet. He's, he's gaining, but like he hasn't opened a movie by himself ever on the level that they're trying to do. And also, I would get away from, um, we're going to transport you to a mystical world you've never seen before. Listen, that looks great, but audiences have not cared about that for 10, 15 years. Otherwise, Jupiter Ascending, uh, you know, Mortal Engines, all those types of would-be new high-concept worlds would have been successes. It's not enough. So I would kind of rejigger the marketing. I'm assuming there's going to be a third trailer, whether that's tied to Venice Film Festival or late September um, with you know, No Time to Die or something. You that's know the vibe do. that I get from it? It's sort of like a Prometheus-type film. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I can they, totally see that. Like they, yeah. Like all of the parts involved are a quality. They spent a ton on it. Went out and made a fucking sick movie. But then they realized, like, oh wait, we spent a fuck ton of money on this. We have to make a fuck ton on it as well. What do we do now? You know? Over and under one sixty. And then they find budget. themselves in this pickle of 
knowing that they have a critically viable film, but selling it as that critically viable version isn't going to get them over the financial line they need to not only recover what they invested, but to invest in a sequel. So and a spin-off it, series for HBO Max. It's it's sort of a catch 22 of filmmaking that they've created for themselves because they didn't commit to one route. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too and look if it, that would what this would be, right? If this makes 600 million dollars plus, right? That's and success. It's, and it's critically beloved. In a filmmaking sense, that is having your cake and eating it too. Sure, <laughs> this side short of, you know, the Avengers and the Star Wars of the world, because rarely do those things overlap. Nobody has proved that they could do that yet. So <laughs> we shall say. I'll, I'll leave on this note and then we'll move on because we've done a lot of Dune to start. The last new to screen Mega Bucks franchise, Mega Bucks is the Hunger Games, which ended in 2012. Otherwise, we have not seen a new-to-screen franchise of that caliber since. And yes, I know that there was a David Lynch movie in the 1940, uh, 1980s, but it was 40 years ago and it was a flop. We're discounting that. So good good luck, Dune, but we wish you the best. All right, moving on. Eric, I May Destroy You's Michaela Cole has joined Black Panther Wakanda Forever in a mystery role. Popular theory out there seems to be Storm. You know, I'm not buying it. It seems obvious. It seems like you're reducing all the black female characters just to this one X-Men. I, I think yes, it's someone but she else. Do- yeah, but she does have a very striking face. Like she lo- like, her, like her face looks like a character that would be somebody named Storm. Like those <laughs> eyes, those fucking, those intense eyes of hers. I just, I feel like it's- She's a great actress. Beyond the the fa- like, I'm, like I'm trying to say beyond the fact that she's black, I think that she has just that fucking look of something like- because Storm's eyes turn all white, right? And they look just, they could fucking look right through you. That's the vibe that I get from her. Her She's just so striking, so stunning. What I will say is that this film is supposed to introduce Namor. So Reportedly, like, right? Yeah, so I think it's a bit of both. I think it's like our Kang thing. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. Um, so like, would introducing Storm as well be a bridge too far? Would that make it more make sense since there's going to be this sort of ocean element to it maybe they need storm hey could you fucking moses this bitch for us so we could go down there and fight these fuckers you know what i mean like so there's part of me that that thinks uh too many um uh uh balls in there at once but then yeah. there's also part of me plot wise that can see it you also think that this is somebody that they've identified as a star for the next five ten years right so if you're going to invest in her She's not going to play some random Wakandan princess or something. You would think that they're going to line her up for a superhero role. I think everything you're saying makes sense on paper, but my gut, and you know I'm a betting man, is that she is not Storm. She's someone else, and that they are going to do the X-Men I'm in on the same page as you. <laughs> unexpected way. I, I, I agree. I just... I'm hopeful that it, it's Storm, because I saw that casting, and I was like, fuck me, dude. That is perfect. It would be an added value element to a film that has tragically lost its uh, normal lead. So maybe that's why they're doing it. And Angela Bassett has said that the script has gone through five drafts with a sixth on the way. So perhaps the sixth is the one that they were like, fuck it, let's bring in Storm. We're bringing Storm in. (laughs) <laughs> Let us know what you guys think. If it's Storm, if it's not, who it could be at PostCredPod on Twitter. We'd love to hear. Uh, Eric, Zack Snyder is working on Army of the Dead 2 as part of his new overall deal at Netflix. you got to be thrilled about this, right? 
Okay, maybe not. I mean, well, I, have I, ever, I, have I, I mean, I, I'm not so much. I'm a Zack Snyder fan because of what he's worked on, right? Like I, like I love Batman and I love right. 300, but it's not like I'm a Zack Snyder guy. And I even loved Watchmen, but it's not like I'm one of those Snyder people. Uh, I'm more excited for Rebel Moon than I am this. I would agree with that for sure. I also think good for him, man. You know what I mean? Finally, he's just allowing to do what the fuck he wants. He's having the space to do it. He seems like this is the perfect home for him because he could do what he wants. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. They Netflix has never really shown like they put out 10,000 shows and films a year. Like they don't give a fuck. So he they know that he is a brand unto himself. And because they need franchises, I'm assuming that they see him as the franchise and i'm just like yes that go I, i'm really hoping that him signing an overall deal with netflix just puts to bed the hashtag restore the snyder risk guys he's not interesting back. warner brothers doesn't want him back they're never getting back together just get on only for two years though right does that sound kind of short to you sorry i'm di- i'm dying over here for no reason of I'm just coughing um you know what I, i'm sure there's extenuating circumstances i, I just i think he, this is his focus now and i don't think we should be expecting or, or demanding from Warner Brothers on, you know, posts about social justice, like, nah, fuck that. Stop, you know, I don't care about your stop Asian hate. We just want the Snyderverse. Like, that shit was disgusting. Right, right, yeah. Let it uh, go, man. The, yeah. In the Heights star, Leslie Grace has nabbed the role of Batgirl, which is still scheduled to be an HBO Max exclusive. Uh, number one, I just thought it was good casting. I mean, I've only seen her in the Heights, but she was good. But number two, they got to, like, right now, Batgirl, Static Shock, and Blue Beetle have all been rumored at one time or another to be HBO Max exclusives. You can't throw all three of those. You can't tell me all three of those don't have box office prospects because that's insane to me. I, I, I don't know if they trust the DCEU at this point. Perhaps it's a, it's a show and prove type thing. If they could put together a string of hits, but like at this point, they can't even get films with fucking Batman and Superman in them to do well. So that is my read of it. I don't hate it. I mean, I don't think it's the worst idea. I think to put all of those is a marginalization of some of some popular characters. I, I, you're Bat right. Girl? That they need- Batgirl? It's in the Bat family. Yeah, but that doesn't really mean... I mean yes, that means something, but she's like, in terms of Batman superheroes, fourth or fifth, Fifth on the list behind Batman, Robin. Then, then sh- show Nightwing. some strategy as a studio. Let's let's get a, a tighter budget. Let's get a really really clean marketing campaign. You can turn, you know, like look at Shazam and like eighty million dollars movie but that turned to profit. But everything you're saying lend itself to being released on streaming? <laughs> I I think study and the studies in the third party data would show that everything that's a theatrical release has a better chance of giving you long tail impact and profitability as opposed to a streaming one off exclusive. Yeah, and so all three of those DC characters with fan bases can't be. What was the third heroes? one? Come on, but it's Blue Beetle, Static Shock, and uh, and Batgirl. I understand one or two of them, not all three. Well, there, there there's also a uh, uh, makes you raise your eyebrow when you realize two <laughs> of those characters are black and one of them's a chick, right? No, it's it's um Blue Beetle's Hispanic, Static's black, and Leslie Grace is Hispanic. Okay, as well. well, okay, still. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The marginalization of these these leads and these characters, that's bad. I mean, do you think that that plays a role? Or do you think it's just a genuine number? I had never heard of Blue Beetle until the last oh. six months. Oh, man, you got to watch Young Justice. Mm. I think you'd like it. Mm. 
All right. Anyway, Netflix is going to introduce mobile video games onto the platform within the next year. Eric, you're more of a gamer than I am because I don't game. But at not all. a mobile gamer. Not at all. Not even a little I don't, bit. I, when I heard this, I was like, oh, sweet. But then I saw it was phone games and I was like, what? I, I like used to do Clash of Clans a lot, and then I had got a new phone, and it wouldn't switch over, and that was the last time I ever consistently mobile <laughs> game ever. Oh, I pay. Yeah, I was, dude. I, I put in three good years to that. I was, I was disappointed. So three I, years, yes. yeah. See, the phone games are not for me. So you know, I, I'm curious because I, I wrote a lot about it for Observer.com. You can check it out. But I'm curious how much this means to actual existing gamers. I just think it's more of an indication of, I mean, and sort of as you've written about how video games are the next IP war, video games in general, esports, this are becoming yeah. more, cult, or even things like VR, video games in general are just becoming more culturally relevant. It feels like every month there's sort of a new step forward in gaming. You got to think that this is only the tip of the iceberg for them, right? They're trying to roll this shit out. They're trying to roll this shit out by next year. They have huge plans to not only use existing IP, but but turn some of the successful games into new series and films. They're uh, they're they're doing it also as a way to do added value to keep you within the Netflix ecosystem for longer. They're trying to diversify their revenue streams in multiple ways. So it, it is a very loaded development for Netflix yeah. in the, the course of their business. I definitely think it's cool for sure. Yeah. Last of the news, then we'll get to our quick hitters. Dwayne Johnson responded, responded to Vin Diesel's comments that Vin Diesel shaped his performances in early Fast movies by basically laughing. Now, Eric, they have had an ongoing feud for a couple of years. Do you think it's real or not? I can't believe this. I, of course it's real. I take the opposite approach. The egos of those guys? Are you kidding me? I think it's particularly with Dwayne Johnson coming from the WWE background. But the Rock said he's not coming back for. Let's for the- let's see. Let's see if the Rock doesn't come back for these. I think they know that the idea, the perception that they are feuding, adds immense added interest and intrigue into the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, every time one of them says something, you see every single site and every single kind of Twitter blog immediately cover it. It adds so much oxygen to the Fast and Furious franchise marketing. I think they are extremely savvy in playing us all. I mean, look, those are great points. It's just, I, I want it to be real. So I'm just going to. Listen, gonna, we'll say, remember when the Wall Street bro- story, uh, Journal broke the story that they have in their contract, how many punches they're allowed to take because they all want to be the man. That may be that may be an evidence that it is real that they are truly like that you know sensitive. But I, plus, I have a like, feeling it's not. I have a feeling they're smarter than than that. Plus, like the Rock fucking body bagged them, dude. Like he was like, yeah, I laughed at him. We all we also, all had Rock a good destroy him in a real fight. He said like, it wouldn't we, even be close. He said we all had a good laugh about that one. I mean, that's fucking devastating, dude. That is so like like the old. No, no, no. We're laughing at you, not with you. That is, that's heavy shit. And just like Diesel strikes me as somebody who, here's what it is to me. Diesel thinks that he's the rock too. Like, let, let, let me just quickly just okay. say one thing because you're going to, you're going to appreciate it. From what I have heard from behind the scenes, the whispers of, of people who would be in the know, everyone involved in the franchise is in on the joke. They understand that the, the joke is that the Fast and Furious is the most ridiculous thing ever. 
everyone except Vin Diesel, yes. who truly believes that it is like the greatest, you know, rock opera of franchises yep. ever. That's yep. what I've heard from multiple people. So it does add one kernel of evidence that maybe it is real. And and here's what leads me to that point, right? Vin Diesel thinks that he's the reason people are showing up to these films. That's what he genuinely thinks. He doesn't understand, like, and I think the fact that The Rock showed up in Fast Five and immediately made them better, like, broke his brain. Like, it just absolutely shut him down completely. And, and that is probably where it all started. He tried to, like, punk The Rock and be like, no, these are my films. The Rock just blew him off the fucking screen because he's more... Neither of them are good actors, but when it comes to charisma, The Rock smokes this dude. Not only that, but in terms of like Diesel, like why would you provoke The Rock? You know, from years, he is one of the like from from years back in the WWE, he's one of the most electric like clapbackers of all time. Like his on mic skills are thought of as the best of all time in that realm. So to sort of you know poke the bull is just insane to me. That is why I think it could be fake. Because like why like why else would he possibly come out with such absurd quotes? I'm gonna be honest. Between like be cool, walking tall, um, and pain and gain, I actually think The Rock has more range than people give him credit for. A- absolutely, I think absolutely. He's, he's solid. Absolutely, real solid. And he's, he's clear. And when he gets to play like the jun- the Jungle Cruise, uh, the um, Jumanji type, like those leading men, I think he's great. Yeah, and let's move on to our quick hitters. The first trailer for John Cena and Little Ray Howery's Vacation Friends coming to Hulu in August was dropped. Eric, I'm not going to lie. I, I, got, I got a nice little quick laugh out of this one. It looks pretty funny, yeah. I'll yeah, check right? it out. I want to see this, yeah. I mean, right, dude, Cena, Cena is also like he's – I think he plays his size well, right? Like he understands the yeah. humor and how big he is and how square-jawed he is. I mean, it's very clear in the role that James Gunn cast him. Yeah. Cast him, and he is self-aware of what he looks like and how to use that for laughs. And when I interviewed him for F9, that's what something he said. He loves to play against type and loves to use his size to his advantage to subvert your expectations, like in a train wreck or something like that. Exactly, like, exactly. This, this big pussy is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He knows. He's good. He's talented. I, I, like I, I enjoy him. Marvel Studios will launch an in-house animation division. Clearly, they have confidence in what if. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, that, but also, like, given the way that Netflix has gone all in on anime, like, you got to think, especially with something like Marvel, the cost versus reward golf must be huge for yeah. that. Huge. I wrote last year, the animation has become one of the most hot like battlegrounds of the stream also wars. especially for something like the mcu where it's like they want to keep the ball rolling between projects at all time this is the perfect thing to have ready to go like between films or between shows etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. uh back to what we were just saying before wb will produce at least 10 films exclusively for hbo max in 2022 so even though they're moving away from the day and date releases of 2021 to a 45 day window next year, they're clearly not giving up on funneling movies to HBO max. We raise our eyebrows now, but part of me thinks that just like with the Batgirl thing and stuff like that, they may be ahead of the curve when it comes to this whole streaming films thing. They're doing well. They're growing well. HBO max. Uh, Ridley Scott, due to pandemic delays, is about to drop The Last Duel with Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Ben Which Affleck, and Jodie Comer. Which looked sweet, I thought. And House of Gucci with Adam Driver and Lady Gaga within one month of each other. Eric, 
Is this the best flex of the year? I think that there's a real chance because really Scott is what, 82 now? He's up there. That they give him a sort of Hopkins-esque Oscar this year because with the amount of star power that he's got in these films and his age, you got to figure that there's a best director win for him in there somewhere. It's shaping up. I mean, he's going to have a lot of a lot of heat in a good way. I did not rounds. expect The Last Duel to look as good as I thought it did. Although I will say Matt Damon and Ben Affleck still look completely out of place in medieval I setting. hate that criticism. I fucking hate that. I saw True. you talking about this on Twitter. What does that mean? That is your own. You're bringing your own preconceived baggage into the film. These are two of the most uh, important movie stars of our lifetime you're, you're telling me all of a sudden matt damon you're like i can't believe that guy they both provide a sense of out of time disorientation to me that take me out of the moment especially in that trailer and especially ben affleck of, of the two for sure Just the, same the thing structure of their faces or like what you know about them I think uh, someone on Twitter, I think, had a great uh, a great example, so the microwave stupid. theory. If you can envision them using a microwave in between scenes, it's hard to take take them seriously in a period piece. Like, I think Jodie Comer looks amazing in that setting, in that period drama. But them two, they just are too too modern. I don't know, Something man. No, I did enjoy how Damon and Ben have outrageous haircuts and beards. And oh, Adam yeah, Driver, and Adam Driver showed up to set as is. He rolled out of bed, threw on a tunic, and came. And that was it. And I was like, yo, you're the man. I'm driving. I love you, dude. All right. Another morning at work. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just like punching in, punching out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, on that note, let us move into our 2021 movie draft before we get to our Matt Damon episode. Uh, We are going to do either four or five movies, depending on time. And what it's going to be, three movies yet to be released and one movie that's already hit theaters. And if we have time, we'll throw a second one on there. Uh, Movies releasing on July 23rd will count as already hit theaters. And that was thrown in there to kind of introduce a variable because there are only so many, many movies that have been released and they're all known quality quantities. And we're also kind of judging this on diversity too, in terms of genre, you know, taking four or five MCU movies. That's come on. That's just a cop out. So these can be picked in any more order. If you want to take your already hit theaters movie first, you can do that. If you want to draft your three upcoming movies that you haven't seen and save the other one for your final pick, that is fine too. We're each going to have you know a little bit of time to basically explain or defend our pick and say this is why it is. And uh, Eric, do you want to uh, flip a coin or something to see who goes first? Oh, sure, sure. I was just going to give you the first pick, but let's go the old-fashioned Ooh. coin flip. You know, this is the first draft that we've done versus each other since David Fincher last fall. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That was a good one. All right. Uh, So it's been flipped, so I'll just let you pick. Heads or tails? Tails. All right. You win. You get first pick. Now, let me say, I have a feeling, I I think I know, knowing us, what the three first films off the board are going to be. I'm not going to say them. I mean, I will once we pass that point. Yeah, once... 
I want to know once it, how close or, or far you were. And like three total. I mean, like you, me, you. I think I know what those films are going to be. So interesting. All right. Without let's see, further let's... ado, with the first pick in the draft. Can we get a drum roll here? Sure. <laughs> to start, I am going with Eternals. What? Because. Oh, right, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to start it off with Eternal because a couple you're, reasons. Number you're, one. You're, you are a psycho. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. It's one of the most singular filmmakers the MCU has every, ever worked with in Chloe Zhao, who is the reigning best director and best picture winner at this year's Oscar. Kevin Feige has already been very open about her impact on the MCU filmmaker process because she's insisting on location shooting as much practicality as possible. She's got a deeply character-centric focus for an ensemble cast. But Eric, as we've talked about many times, what I'm most excited for is that Eternals is going to span 7,000 years of MCU history, finally removing us from this tired 80-year compressed timeline we've been exploring for the last 13 years of the Marvel franchise, which has really been wrung for all it's worth, in my opinion. So we're getting a host of new characters with deep ties to these like kind of overarching cosmic entities that can further diversify the Marvel-verse. And these characters are brought to life with a supremely impressive and eclectic cast, which you and I have been hyping for a long time. So of all the upcoming Marvel projects, this feels like the freshest, and that's why I'm most excited. Damn. I gotta say, it's so funny how dumb I sound. <laughs> I was like, oh, I think I, I think I know what's going on here. You'll, nope. you'll tell me after what you thought. Yeah. To be fair, I was 100% trying to pick this at some point. This would have been my pick two or three. I just wasn't going to go first because I was thinking, because I had an idea of what I thought you might try to go for at the top and what I would try to go for at the top. So with that said, with my first pick, and actually you've kind of thrown me for a loop here, but I'm going with No Time to Die. I figured that was going to be a top two pick no matter what. And so here's why. I actually think that it already had that sort of prestige to it, like Daniel Craig's swan song. Like, I really think that more so than Spectre, because back then we thought it was his final film, but we weren't kind of sure. This one sort of has the gravity of like, this is a big deal. By the time this comes out, he would have been playing Bond for 15 years. And not only that, but he's been fucking great at it. Absolutely immense. These Bond films have, I mean, Skyfall is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And if this is nearly as good as that, we're in for a fucking great time. So you've got the sort of, like, this could be an Oscar-nominated film type thing. That's sort of where I'm at. Like, Skyfall, I think, got a nom for cinematography, if I'm... I can't remember. Uh, but, like, something along those lines where it really crosses that line of, A, could make a billion dollars, and B, will be critically beloved. Part of that is because they brought on Carrie Fukunaga. Fukunaga, is that correct? I believe so. Uh, director of True Detective Season 1, which pound for pound is one of the best seasons of TV of all time. And also Netflix's Maniac, which I was a huge fan of. Also, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a script rewrite. And, that, so and, here, and, then, and now here's one more thing at play. Well, a few things at play, but one of the big ones here. Ana de Armas is... Yeah. Is... is uh, this was supposed to come out last spring, right? So Knives yeah, Out was yeah, out, I think out April twenty twenty. Point being is her star power has been steadily building ever since then. By the time we get to No Time to Die coming out, I don't know if her Marilyn Monroe movie will be out yet, but it's coming out this year. They might they might sell her as the co lead. I mean, that's sort of where I think her 
name is at this point. So all of those things combined, potential to crack a billion dollars, it's potential to be legitimately good. It's star power across the board. And that feeling of like, this is a cinematic event. Like we're saying goodbye to Craig's bond. All of that for me has the concoction of one of the year, one of the year's most important films, not important in terms of like, you need to see this movie, but in terms of like what it means to movie fans and sort of the place that it holds in our hearts and minds. I think that this is definitely near the top of this year's films. And to, to confirm, it was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, winning two, which was best achievement in music and best achievement in sound editing. But you're right. They did have a cinematography nomination for uh, Roger Deakin, Skyfall. Yeah. yeah. So good call. Thank I you, like that, man. I, I, can't, I can't argue against that. For my second pick, despite what I said earlier, I'm going with Dune. Yep. Okay. Okay. So a relatively new to screen IP, if we discount David Lynch's flop from 40 years ago, which I fucking am because you know what? It's been 40 years and audiences have, you know, re-evolved since then. We both agree that it is a filmmaker who may be the best in the game right now. He has an argument for that. And if not easily top five, and it is an absolutely stacked cast with a who's who of talented performers, all of whom add up to a, a little bit more of a marketing pull as well. Like you said, you may not go to a movie to see one actor you like, but you may go to a movie to see 10 actors you like. So I think it's got a little bit of a knives out thing right there. Plus, Eric, just for you, my friend, and as you mentioned earlier, and as I writ- wrote down here and as I was laughing as you said it, an intergalactic romance between our two most exciting leads that will span past, present, and future yep. in a big budget sci-fi yep. epic. I know you're all in on that. I'm Sing that gospel, that. son. Sing that gospel. <laughs> and if Dune succeeds, Eric, if let's say Dune is like 450 million plus with some good HBO and Max numbers, that's that's a success in this market. That is so important for tentpole movie making because it will be the first real kind of wow, this was an unfamiliar IP to really make it in the last decade. You know, Godzilla vs. Kong earlier this year, I'm glad it overperformed, but we know those. We know the monster verse. This will be so healthy for Warner Brothers, for ambitious tentpole filmmaking that isn't middle-of-the-road generic Snake Eyes bullshit. It will be a win for smart cerebral sci-fi. It will be a win for getting a bunch of talented people to go do a big budget vision, not a big budget. We're just reverse engineering a movie to sell fucking toys. So I think there's a lot riding on dude for the goodwill of the industry. It's a movie we're excited about. It's a movie I hope does well. Yeah. So Dune is what I thought that you were going to take first. I was, it was in play to be my top pick. I'm going to put you on the spot though, since it's your pick. Yes or no. Do we get Dune too? I believe we get Dune too, regardless of what the box office is. Yes. Okay. That's fascinating to me because like, it's not a cheap one. <laughs> That's, it's, you know. it's, it's like over under $160 million budget for Dune. Yeah. Okay, so while I didn't know the top three, I, it turns out I did know the top four because the three films that I thought were going to go one, two, three are going to get picked in the top four. And that's because with my second pick, I am taking The Matrix 4. Give it, son. Oh. Yeah. So uh, now that we, well we've played, done well it, played. I thought top three were going to be in some order. No Time to Die, Dune, and this film. Now, as you put out in a tweet, which you sort of, I'm not going to say you stole it from me, but this is a joke that I made on the podcast about like everyone's, I thought so. Everyone's been talking about the No Way Home trailer, but we're like, where's the Matrix trailer? And you, but you, 
but you worded it great. Great tweet. And that's like, and that's the point. People have like, I feel like people are sleeping on the fact that the Matrix 4 with Keanu Reeves, who I think right now is a bigger star than he's ever been. If you include everything he did before John Wick, he was already a gigantic star. Now he's fucking John Wick. You add that on top. We've talked on this show a lot how the first film and how well it's aged, not only as a film, but as an ideology and as a set of themes and, and ideas. This was like, at least in far in terms of my lifetime, like one of the first intelligent blockbusters that I remember. Like, right. this is the type of film that Denis Villeneuve would come out with today, right? Like that, that is sort of where this was. And I think that the second one was underrated as hell. So yes, part three was not great, but you've got a generationally iconic first one. You've got an underrated second one, which I think is, had the first one not been literally legendary, I think would have been viewed in a more favorable light. Sort of like uh, like the Dark Knight Rises is not great, but it would have been viewed a lot better if it didn't follow up the fucking Dark Knight. Uh, yeah. So if they're able to give us a proper ending with the Matrix franchise, that'll sort of, I think, add that'll re- that'll rewrite not only the narrative about the franchise, but I think adds another notch to Keanu's belt where it's like we have to talk about this guy as the most important action star of his generation of the last 30 years. Like if he if he's able to not only star in this film and have it be good, but have it do well at the age of close to 60 having not started in this role in what will be pushing 20 years. I mean, that sort of stardom, like they're only making this film now because he's become such a big star again. I can guarantee you that. So you combine all that. With respect, they've been trying to get back into the matrix. You say that, but, but I bet those conversations became a lot more serious when they were like, wait a minute. They had a cultural renaissance. It definitely helped. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Or even not even the filmmakers, the studio were like, oh, okay. Now we get, (laughs) you know what I mean? Keanu's back. All right, fine. So I think if they could, if they could make it somewhere in between the quality of one and two, have it be a fitting conclusion to the story. Further utilize Keanu. Dude, the image of like an older Neo with a beard and whatever, like not only an older Neo, but like a newer Matrix program, that is fascinating plot fodder. That is something that I am interested in seeing. So I think that once the trailer for this shit drops, people are going to be like, oh, fuck me. That's right. The new Matrix is coming. So this was... This was a film that I definitely wanted. So I, I can't argue against any of that. The Matrix 4 was high on my list. And of the notes I prepared, it has the longest blurb by far. So Go I ahead agree. and read it. Uh, maybe at the end. Maybe at the end. We'll, okay. we'll continue on. The one thing I will disagree with, though, I, you know I love Keanu. This is not a shot of Keanu. But Keanu Reeves is not the greatest action star of the last three, uh, 30 years. Tom Cruise is the greatest action star of the last 30 years, which leads me into my third pick, which is Top Gun Maverick. And I wanted the Matrix 4, but this is a happy pivot I'm willing to make now that it's off the board. Top Gun Maverick is a throwback type of star-driven practical effects 
action blockbuster. It's not high concept. There's no sci-fi. There's no huge CGI. They went up in those fighter jets and did barrel rolls and, you know, multi-G maneuvers. Tom Cruise said he puked at least twice during filming. This is a guy so dedicated to killing himself on screen for our (laughs) enjoyment that he's literally a borderline Air Force pilot in real life because of these movies. And so to, to make a legacy sequel to a movie that was awesome and groundbreaking in its time is so exciting. But Eric, I feel like the big problem we have is that because of the multiple delays, people are forgetting how fucking awesome Top Gun Maverick looks. After this podcast, Eric, go watch the trailer. Everyone listening at home, pause this and go rewatch the trailer. Since we haven't seen it in a long time, it hasn't been fresh of mind. It looks pulse poundingly incredible. It looks like Tom Cruise, particularly on the back of Fallout, is like 100% back to kicking ass. And I'm just really excited, excited for this practical, lo-fi to a degree, throwback old school actioneer. I think it's going to really, really surprise folks. I have never seen the first one. You've never seen Top Gun? No. No. No, but but the music is even though I haven't seen that, it's iconic hard. soundtrack. It's yeah, it's hard not to hear that in the trailer for this and be like, wow, this looks pretty fucking epic. Dude, um, it looks but seriously, after we record, go rewatch. Oh, I know. You tell me, yeah. And again, the like, stuff and, and like uh, as I said at the top about Dune, like here, the stunts look so fucking real. It's like, oh, finally, like enough with the cgi yeah, no wires so, or anything you know they're getting in cockpits and they're putting cameras in them so a our draft has gone a little bit quicker than i thought so do you want to expand to five total picks yeah and just and just wing one of them because i yeah. i don't i don't have notes for for the next yeah but four so we'll do four that have yet to come out and just we'll still stick to the one that is okay already been released so with no that problem. Said, i am going to take my already been released now and uh, for I'm excited me, excited to hear this one. For me, this came down to four films. Now, I don't, I, I kind of want to say them, but are you going to take yours next or are you going to still wait? Yes, we'll have to see, man. Okay, okay. So, strategy, baby. This came down to four films for me, two of which I'm going to say because I doubt you're going to take them. One was Zack Snyder's Justice League, only because of the sort of the big deal that it was. And people forget since time flies when your earth is a hellscape but like back in march like we weren't like back in march like we weren't going out to theaters again and having fun like we are now like there was a there was still a dearth of content and not only a fucking superhero film but one that fans had literally been waiting for for years that was a big deal the other one that i was going to take or thought about taking was raya and the last dragon because that's just a fucking good movie just a just a really good movie uh, so now this is down to two. Obviously, I'm only going to take one, and that pick for me is going to be Judas and the Black Messiah. I knew uh, you were going to take that one. I was looking over my list, and I'm like, it's this or this, and, I, and Judas was one of them. I called my shot when I saw it. I knew that Daniel Kaluuya was going to win for it. He did win for it. I think that's an important win, not only for his career, but the movie that he won for. Um, right. I think in terms of like prestige dramas, this is still... This is still arguably the best of the year so far. I mean, that's just off the top of my head, but I can't really think of anything that, with no CGI, no no fight scenes, no IP, just a good old-fashioned adult drama. Really well-made, really tight script, great acting across the board. Our boy, DK specifically. And again, like I wanted to include already released films because there's an 
element of you know what it is, and we know that this is an Oscar-winning film. Yeah, that's hard to argue, man. It's it's in my uh, I think top six for 2021 thus far, I believe. So it's really hard to argue. I like that pick. I am going to stick with movies coming up for okay. this, and this is probably going to be a little bit of a, a left field pick for, you know, this podcast is you know franchises. It's a lot of mainstream blockbuster things. I am going to go with Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I have that. I have that. I have that. There we go. Okay. So first of all, just off the top of the, you know, the head, it's Steven Spielberg. So already it's an event of some sort. The guy doesn't really make terrible movies. I mean, you could throw out the BFG in like 1941, but more or less his movies are at least really solid or potentially great for the most part. And I think West Side Story looks phenomenal. I'm a huge musical guy. I love the original. The, I, I saw the trailer it on was Broadway. stunning too. This it really gave you that stunning. sense of like of like this is an, a, a, a definitive piece of American cinema. You know, absolutely. I, I thought it was a really really great modernized reinvention, just based on the trailer that looked lively and vibrant. I think Rachel Ziegler looks like she is a you know, fledgling star. So she's already cast in Shazam 2. She was, uh, I believe, Snow cast White. in Snow White. Yes, thank you. So she's clear, because people have seen screenings of West Side Story and hired her based off her performance on that. I'll guarantee uh, you that. Yeah, okay. So she's clearly killing it. Yes, we have the Ansel Elgort cloud hanging over this, which, you know, deserves to be dissected and picked apart. Yeah, but good, good luck with that one. Yeah, that's going to be us. Awesome. I'm saying like, yeah. good luck how they roll out this film when the time comes, because they're going to have the answer for that shit, for sure. Yeah, As they should, and I agree. But it looks magical. And for yep. and for someone who loves Steven Spielberg, who loves musicals and loves West Side Story, that's what I wanted to feel. Because I was like, oh, they're remaking a classic. I saw the trailer. Magical. Yep. So you know what? As my fourth pick, I'm, I'm pretty confident, even though that may be a little bit left of center for the, this podcast audience. Yeah. Okay. No, I had that on, on my list. It was one of my alts. Um, I may not have gotten to it. Uh, but now, see, this is where it's tough because there's a couple of films here that are slapped on that I don't even think cross your radar, right? Oh, let me say that the uh, oh wait, actually scratch that because you still have to take your my my already seen and then and then you're done. Yep, and then that'll be five. Okay, uh, so for my this is my fourth pick now. I am taking Spider Man No Way Home. I figured. I figured that. I was like, mine was between No Way Home and um, Eternal so for my I was going to, so I wanted to get one of these two MCU films regardless. Eternals, I would have preferred because, again, as we've talked about time in and time out on this podcast, I'm just a sucker for that shit. Uh, but No Way Home, I mean, what is there that, that I could say that hasn't already been tweeted about and written right. about and rumored? If it's what we think it's going to be, it's going to be one of the biggest comic book films of all time. Brandon thinks it's going to be the first billion dollar movie post pandemic. So that's my, I mean, that's just it. <laughs> Period. The end. That makes sense. And if, it, if it's not no way home, then it's one of the 2022 movies. But I think of the 2021 movies, no way home is the best shot at reaching a billion. Right. Right. All right. For my last pick, Eric. And I think that was a great pick. I think those were the two Marvel ones to choose from in terms of this list for my last. Watch pick, us be wrong. And fucking Shang-Chi is just a banger. Well, listen, I, we don't think Shang-Chi looks bad. No, of course we're not. not. Saying of that. course not. Yeah. Of course not. So for my last pick, my already seen, no one's going to predict this at all because oh, it's, it's, fucking... it's definitely left of center. But I'm going to say before I announce it, it is one of the best reviewed movies of the year in terms of Rotten Tomato score, IMDb score, and Metacritic. And it's completely deserving of that. The Mitchells versus the Machines, oh, which I fucking love. Oh, great pick. <laughs> 
eye-popping visuals that Sony's animation division is just really making a commitment to in order to kind of differentiate themselves from, from, from the Pixar, the DreamWorks, the Disney animation. I love their energetic, like all over the screen colors. It's this lively vibe that never loses your interest in this movie consistently funny in a way that I think pokes fun at both the generations represented in the film, but like in a loving way. And it's the type of movie to me, like a Pixar, elicits both tears of laughter and tears of sadness, albeit in a very different way from Pixar. Uh, so again, I, I loved this movie. I thought it's celebration of family and independence at the same time was like this really surprisingly nuanced theme to straddle because they're they're kind of at odds from one another. And yet this film manages to champion both really well, produced by our boys, Lord and Miller, who just seem to knock it out of the park every single time they attach their name to something. I think this is one of my top five movies of the year. I love it. And that's what I'm choosing as a completely left field choice. Phenomenal, sir. I, I didn't even <laughs> have that you, one on my list. That movie Thank was you. so goddamn enjoyable. Just just, just a good old time at the movies, you know? Hell yeah. Um, all right. So let me say that the other one on my already released list was Quiet Place Part 2. Can't argue that. You just can't. All right. So now that we're, we're at not only my pick, my final pick, but the final pick of the draft, let me run through a couple that I had on my list that are going to end up not being picked. These were sort of so these few are like my ones that I had, like just in case. I, I uh, like hearing the uh, the orbiting you know, potential selections. I yeah, like so, that. So as you said, West Side Story, that was one of mine. I tossed Free Guy on this list because apparently it's great. I haven't <laughs> I mean, seen it yet. I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, Jackass 4, because look, man, the Jackass guys are great. I, I rewatched the last three. I, I rewatched the first three this week. And while oh, you the, used all three of them. I love that. I just threw it on while I work, while I work. Dude, that's out, great. Let me tell you, the bits with Steve-O are hard to watch these days because he was fucked up back then. And the bits with Bam are hard to watch, knowing what he's become. But, like, otherwise, it's still just such a primal, guttural humor <laughs> that, like, it, it, it is still laugh-out-loud funny. And now that we're living in sort of a PC time, I think that Jackass 4 is going to have this nice balance of like, will still be fun, but won't make you uncomfortable knowing that they're all fucked up on pills and drugs. You know what I mean? Right. So I definitely think that that'll be a nice blend. Uh, and then I had Stillwater on here because I thought it was pretty solid. And then here's one that I would have liked to pick if this draft was longer. Last Night in Soho. I haven't seen that, but yeah. I mean, no, it's right. not out yet. Yeah. So here are my three that I'm going to boil down to one the last duel i think that this looks really good i think that the a-list cast is phenomenal ridley scott sword and sandals etc etc the other one the tragedy of macbeth from i believe it's joel cohen starring denzel and francis mcdormand which i would heat. argue pure heat yeah i would argue or two of the best actors alive <laughs> like not two of the two best actors alive <laughs> you know like i don't fucking know that's the i mean and i think it's joel's first time on his own You're getting a shakespeare story so a lot going on there this one is gonna peel your fucking cap back sir is this the choice yep with my fifth pick i am taking nightmare <laughs> alley from Guillermo oh, del Toro. Oh, Jesus. I forgot. Oh, I should have done. I should have been more careful about my schedule because I didn't even have it on my radar. And, you're and, right. I, 
and I knew you wanted. Folks, let me read this cast to you. It's a, a it's a psychological thriller called Nightmare Alley. I mean, what what, what more what more do you need? Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, R- Rooney Mara, Holt McCallany, Tim Blake Nelson, and Mary Steenberg. I mean, Jesus. Stan Carlisle, an ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words, hooks up with Dr. Lilith Ritter, a psychiatrist who's even more dangerous than he is. <laughs> I, I mean, Guillermo del Toro, that plot, that cast, like, yeah. boom. I don't think we, we've seen Cooper since fucking A Star is Born, so. I, I, think you, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, and, he's, and, and this year he also has... He's starring in a new PTA film as well. So Cooper's about to pop back up on the scene too. And then I think in 2022, he has his next directorial effort with Netflix about Leonard Bernstein, I think. So, uh, I mean, this, we know nothing about it. There's been no first looks. There's been no set photos. There's been nothing. But that combination, I mean, Cooper, Blanchett, Del Toro, that trio, that trio with one of my favorite genres, AKA the mindfuck genre. I mean, let's just be real. That's what that, that's what this is. The know. mindfuck genre is the precursor to the hits bong theory. <laughs> We've tied yeah. it all together. Mindfuck films are made after hits bong theory session. That, yeah, that's true. That is also true. There's a beautiful, uh, you know, funnel going back. Yes, and exactly. Forth. Exactly. Time is a flat circle, as a wise man once said. All right, so let's recap yeah, let's. five films. What what was your five-man team? All right, so I had No Time to Die, Matrix 4, Judas and the Black Messiah, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Nightmare Alley. That is strong. I had Eternals, Dune, Top Gun Maverick, uh, The Mitchells vs. The Machine, and West Side Story. Yeah, that's strong as well. We're going to be eating good this year. You know what I mean? We there's still a lot of good. fucking, there's still a lot of shit to come out. As as tough as the pandemic has been on the entertainment industry, the back half of 2021 is stacked. Yeah, yeah. At least with I, potential, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't take the Green Knight, huh? I didn't. I really, really liked the Green Knight, but I liked the Mitchells vs. the Machines more, man. <laughs> it was a perfect movie. Those are the I was weeping. Films. Those yeah, are the opposite weeping. films. All right, but guys, you got to tell us who you think has the better five-team roster. Let us know at PostCredPod. We're going to be throwing up, uh, you know, polls, and you can you can comment and all that. But now we're going to move into Eric's awesome interview with Matt Damon of Stillwater. I really hope you guys like it. It was really cool kind of exclusive talk that Eric got to uh, touch base with Will Hunting himself, a.k.a. Jason Bourne, a.k.a. one of our man crushes, for sure. Oh, dude. First of all, folks, let me just say, if you or your kids ever give up on your dreams, just show them this podcast. Be like, check out this idiot talking to Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) We made it, baby. (laughs) I mean, look. He was awesome. He was super nice. Uh, I asked him something about his own film that he's that that, that made him stop and say, like, I, I hadn't thought about it like that before. So that was really cool. And as I've said, I think that the film that we talk about, Stillwater, is legitimately good. So I hope you enjoy the chat and then I hope you enjoy the film as well. Folks. <laughs> Today, I am joined by, at least as far as I'm concerned, one of the most important actors of my lifetime. Uh, you know him from films such as Goodwill Hunting, The Bourne Identity, Ocean's Eleven, and more. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it is Oscar winner Matt Damon. How are you today, sir? Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm giddy, man. I got to be honest with you. It's a real thrill to talk to you, especially about this awesome film. Congrats on Stillwater, which I loved. Um, in fact, my favorite part of it was the wonderful dynamic between Bill and Maya, which I thought was the heart of the film. How did you go about building that obvious chemistry with the actress, despite both the language and age barrier? And was the scene-stealing nature of that relationship baked into the script or something that developed as you guys filmed? Well, th thanks, man. Great question. I, I you know, she's... Amazing. Uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. Uh, I'm calling her, she's like the Meryl Streep of nine-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> That's dead on, mate. She's amazing. I couldn't believe it. As are you, but the connection between the two of you is the heart of the film for me. Yeah, and after the first day that she shot, I, Tom McCarthy, the director, and I went, sat down and just went, okay, like, this kid is pitching a no-hitter. Like, how do we make sure nobody gets in her way? Like, we got we to gotta get really serious about making sure that this is fun for her, like, that it continues to be playful and fun, because if we keep it, like, the minute it turns into work, you know, the, there are a few ways we can screw it up. We can, it can become, we can, we can exhaust her, and then it becomes work. Or people can get in her ear, which sometimes happens with children. You know, they have, you know, the aunt or uncle who goes, you should do this face. And you should, you know what I mean? And they start giving acting lessons to their, to the eight-year-old. So uh, is this something that was in the script though? Were you guys aware of sort of uh, the way in which this relationship would bear itself to the front of this yes. film? Okay. Yeah, it had, it, for the film to work, you know, it, this relationship has to work. It's about him having the relationship with this little girl that he couldn't have with his own daughter. Right. Yeah. And, and so that was a real central theme. And, and, you know, and, and we knew there's always a crapshoot, right? Cause you and, and so how did you guys go about building the chemistry between you two, despite the, I don't know, 40 year age gap and language barrier and all that. I, did you spend time with her offset? How did that work out? Because clearly you guys have bonded beyond the point of like punch in and punch out. Yeah. Well, she had, there was a, there was a guy who we hired named Marco, who was a, uh, who was like an acting coach and translator for her. And he uh, was very good kind of keeping like theater games, kind of keeping it really light and fun for her. Uh, and then, and just, and she, to be fair, is a natural, like yeah. she, she's a true natural, like, you know, and sometimes you get that with a kid. You just Now, just so I don't spend my entire chance talking to Matt Damon and use it to talk about a nine-year-old girl, let me ask you about yourself, sir. What's more challenging and or rewarding for you as an actor, bringing someone larger to life like Jason Bourne or Tom Ripley to life? or playing someone almost aggressively real, like Bill? And how are those two things different when it comes to your process? Yeah, Bill, is, there's a lot of detail in this performance that I'm really happy with. And, and that's really, uh, um, that's the rush for me, is playing a real guy. Um, you know, the Bourne movies are really fun. I, I love, you know, but it's a different thing. It's like a- Well, that's why I ask, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a different thing, um, and you know each I, I I love making all these different types of movies. Like like I I don't uh, I'll kind of do anything. Like I just love this job, and each time I kind of have a different set of marching orders. But right. this was very very specific. It was it was 
you know, I hope they don't sell it too much like a thriller because it's really a drama. Those were my notes exactly, Matt. I think if you go into it expecting a drama, you're going to love it. But if you right. expect it, punch him, kick him up. Matt Damon in France trying to save his daughter. That's no. not this film. Right, it's, exactly. It's not. And we, and we would fail on those grounds if that's the, how you're going to judge it. It, it. it has a couple of those thriller elements that, that, For that sure. drive the plot. But, but it's really a drama. And... Um, and that required a certain level of specificity, you know, about this roughneck that I was playing and going down to Oklahoma and meeting those guys and that entire look, it was like building the physical side of it. And then the, and then the internal side of it, making that feel very real. Um, well, um, I, I, I loved it. You, you lead me right into my next point. Did you personally learn anything from either the perspective of Bill or the perspective of the French characters that you'll carry with you in your real life? And how common of an occurrence is it in acting where you learn from your character and it affects the way that you are as a person? Well, I think you have to understand why your character does what they do. You have to have empathy for your character, right? And, right. and, and look, Bill is somebody that I probably wouldn't agree with politically about things. I, you know what I mean? But that's not, you know, going down there talking to those guys, you know, the guys I talk to view their politics as in a kind of a binary proposition. It's like, if you're from Oklahoma and you work in the oil fields, you know, you're going to vote red down the ticket. Like right. I am going to put food on my table for my, for my family. Right. And it's like seeing through that lens, I totally understand why Bill Baker is, you know, does what he does. And, uh, right. you know, um, so at any rate, I, so, so I think you have to come from a place of empathy and, and every time I, I go and I, I, I'll do research trips like that, I always come back feeling like the stuff that binds us is so much more, you know, than the stuff. Do you seek out me. roles like that now? I just seek out things that I think are going to be good. Okay. Like I love playing a three-dimensional guy yeah. who's, a, who's a roughneck from Oklahoma because well, this is the guy that, that the, the liberal kind of elite, the coastal elite would, would stare down their nose at. And right. ideally by the end of the movie, they'll have, they'll, they'll feel a great deal of empathy for him. So again, you sort of lead me into my point. This is a role that gives you a lot of emotional beats to hit. What aspect of the Bill character was the most, the toughest for you to crack? And what does that process for you look like? Is it a one size fits all depending on the role or does it vary with each new character you play? Uh, it, it really depends on the kind of the filter you're pushing the emotion out through. And Bill is a very particular filter, right? He's that, that look is very important to all of that came from the roughnecks, like from the jeans I was wearing with the fire retardant on them to, you know, the goatee and the glasses and the hat and all of that stuff. Um, it's almost like a uniform, right? And the extra, you know, I put weight on, but only, you know, not... I didn't weigh myself, but I was looking in the mirror. Those guys, all the guys I met, particularly the ones my age, very kind of beefy. They're strong as hell. Like that job requires a lot of physical strength. And you and Tom wanted the sense that there was violence right underneath the surface, and mm -hmm. and, 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 and was the, it was it's always there. It's there in the way he walks. It's there in the way, you know. In one scene, I grab a pen from somebody who's, you know, and it's just, and it's a little flash and you're like, oh shit, okay, I see what they're talking about when they say this guy could be violent. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, for it's, sure, 
For sure. And, and you bring up a point about your weight. That's kind of a fun thing that I want to ask. I'm going to save that for the end. I want to really just focus on Bill because I thought you were just incredible in this role, Matt. Totally lost you in it. Um, this is a film about both doing things for the first time. Bill is, Bill is thrown into a world he doesn't know. And second chances. Was the melding of those two things intentional? And why do you think it's important for humanity to be open to both? Oh, wow. I've never thought about it in that context. Yeah, uh, it is. It's about it's about a guy, you know, he's he is doing things for the first time, but he it's flipping that idea on its head about, you know, uh, it's a guy who goes who has this impulse to help because of the pain and the grief that he's carrying and the damage that he's done to the relationship he has with his daughter, the damage he's done. The, how responsible he feels for her life. And he has this impulse to try to repair that relationship and help her. And yet he has none of the skills <laughs> that, he, that would be. Well, at least in terms of his blood daughter, I think he does uh, show those skills in what I would say is his second chance. That's right. And, and so, and so in a funny way, he ends up, he gets what he wants at the beginning of the film, right? At the beginning of the film, he goes kind of on a mission and he's had this dream of exonerating his daughter, but he's a very different guy by the end of the movie. Yes, yes. Okay, and then that is going to actually cause me to skip to one that I have about the ending because you bring it up so eloquently. Without getting too much into detail, I think the the ending of the film leaves you in a state where your own perspective determines if it's happy or if it's sad. I agree. I felt a bit of both. How do you how do you read the ending, Matt? I I read it the way you did. And I and I hope I be and I love and I love that because I think it is both. Right. I do. I think there's I think, you know, looking at what he loses is so devastating. Right. Yeah. But you also know that this guy, the world does look differently to him now. Like he's he's beautiful ending, man. I got to say amazing. You know, he he's he can re-engage with a different world now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so uh, so he knows he can't go back, but he knows that he can find. So he, you he, think it's sort of a open ended, depending on your own point of view type thing? Yeah, I would say I would agree with your assessment of it. Yeah, Thank you, Matt. And then I've got to wrap up here. Thank you for some of the most thrilling 10 minutes of my career. I just want to end uh-huh. it real, real quick. Talk to me about the difference of putting on born weight and putting on bill weight because i know it was different oh yeah the bill weight's a lot more fun uh, uh, that's what i figured you'd say a lot a lot more cheeseburgers huh a lot more cheeseburgers uh yeah definitely a lot more pizza matt thank you so much sir this was an honor i appreciate you and all the work that you've done my whole life i wish you nothing but the best going forward and i hope that we cross paths again one day soon so thank you eric i appreciate it man cheers man thank cheers. you again yeah you bet All right, that'll do it for us today at Postcred Pod. We hope you guys really liked it. Make sure to follow us and let us know who you think crushed the draft at Postcred Pod. Please leave us a five-star review. And make sure to tune in next week because Eric's got another great interview coming up, this time with Edgar Ramirez for Jungle Cruise, one of Disney's you know high hopes upcoming original blockbusters with none other than The Rock, who, as you know, is, you know, Maybe the best man on the planet. Forget The Rock, Emily Blunt. You know I love Emily. Oh, she is just the best. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that, and we will talk to you all next week. Until next week.
y tomar nueva fuerza. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 